Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Take a seat. Hey, give it up for the team, for leading us, for doing a great job, for serving us so well week in and week out. Many of them um, are here all the time with us. Some of them are among you as fellow students. So make sure you say thank you for their hard work. Hey, guys, we are in the middle of a series, um, the Summer of Psalms, Psalms of Summer, if you will where we're diving through this awesome book. And this is a book full of poetry, full of songs, uh, mostly from a guy named David, who was a king, uh, who followed after the Lord, but made some pretty epic mistakes along the way uh, and experienced really awesome times, seasons of victory, seasons of uh, immense victory for uh, the kingdom of God, for the people of God, uh, and some pretty awesome failures too. Some moments that'll go down in history as the biggest uh, blunders um, from any spiritual leader. Uh, but throughout all of it, uh, David kind of goes on this journey of, of faith with God, and he, he, he is inspired by the Spirit to write um, how he's feeling throughout the highs and lows. And um, I don't know about you, but I think there's some times where we're tempted to think, um, that the Bible doesn't really have answers uh, when I'm feeling a certain way. Uh, that the Bible is great. It talks about Jesus. It has all these historical records of the people of God. But uh, the Bible actually doesn't say anything to me when I am feeling anxious. Or the Bible doesn't have anything to say to me or real answers for me when I'm feeling uh, depressed. The uh, Bible doesn't really have any answers for me when I'm feeling stuck. And uh, that's just not true. Uh, this is not the case. And I think if you read through 150 of these psalms, which, by the way, you should, you absolutely should, some of the best um, passages in Scripture in my mind. Uh, if you read through these passages, you know that God has a lot of things to say about um, what we do when we feel stuck. Have you ever felt like, you know, you just couldn't get out of something? There's just kind of this dark cloud kind of around you all sections of the day. I know some of you may not struggle with anxiety or depression or mental health um, struggles, and, and that's awesome. But I know, looking at the statistics, talking to many of you, that many of us in this room would say that we do. Many of us in this room would say that um, we are in seasons like that or have been in seasons like that. And I guess the question that I want to ask for us today is, what do we do when we feel stuck? What do we do when we feel like the wheels are turning, but we're not quite going anywhere? What does it feel like? What do we do when we feel like we're in the middle of the ocean and the sails are out, but there's just no wind and we just feel stuck? Maybe um, you've had an issue with a relationship with a parent recently, uh, maybe with both of your parents, and it's just kind of left you numb a little bit. Uh, maybe you've had a uh, relationship go south with a person that you thought cared about you, and it's just kind of making you feel out of it. Uh, maybe you've had uh, the realization that school is right around the corner and that's just making you feel like everything is awful, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Um, hey, I might go back to school, by the way. Seminary, it might happen. I'm just waiting to hear back from their email. They're supposed to email me, but I might be back in school with you guys in just a few weeks. Um, still haven't emailed me. I'm like, come on, guys. Um, but what do we do when we're stuck? 
what does God have to say for us when we're stuck? I can think of this really epic example of a guy who didn't quite realize that he was completely stuck. And I may have told this story before. If I have, just smile and pretend like I didn't, right? Let's practice together. Just be like, yeah, no, okay? If I've told this story, I'm sorry. Um, so I was living in right outside of Chicago a couple years ago, and uh, me and a couple roommates, we lived in a townhouse. Um, and our townhouse was connected to this really, it shouldn't have been a busy road, but it was because it connected two major roads on either side of where our neighborhood was. So people would kind of fly through our neighborhood. Um, they put speed bumps out, didn't matter. They put a radar gun in and, and it showed you how fast. None of it mattered. People just didn't care how fast they would go. So they would go so fast through our neighborhood. And the most dangerous time they would go fast through our neighborhood was at night. And I remember one time it was the middle of winter, probably February, um, February, March, which, you know, it's cold all the way through April there. And I remember one night, I don't know if you've ever been awoken from like a very deep sleep and how disorienting it is. You know that feeling where you're just like, what, like, what year is it? What's going on? I remember I was sleeping and in my like subconscious, I hear what I think is an atomic explosion. And it's just this loud noise, like boom. And I thought it was in my dream until I realized that I'm sitting up in bed awake and it takes me a few seconds, but I'm like, there was a really, really loud noise right outside of my window. And so I get out of bed and I look out the window. And what had happened was a car must have been speeding and rammed into a parked car. Thankfully, not mine. Mine was completely safe. My neighbor's car... It was totaled. It was not a good sight. But I was like, yes, not my car. Oh my goodness, someone's hurt. Okay. Um, so I wake up my roommate. Uh, well, my roommate was already awake. We get outside and we're like so disoriented. We like throw on blankets and we're just like walking out to the front of this car. And it, we're just like, okay. So my first thought is like, I hope this guy's okay because he hit him really hard. Guy gets out of his car. And my first thought is like, oh, thank goodness. Like this guy is like not seriously injured. And then I like recognize the state he is in. And let's just say he had made a few bad decisions that night. Um, and you could tell by his demeanor, by the smell from coming from the car, you're like, uh-oh, this is not good. And the guy looks at me and he looks at the car and the car, the front half of his car is now an accordion. It is just smushed. It is like, it's just gone. And his front axle is snapped in half and the front part of the car is just laying like on the ground. The neighbor like looks outside for a second and sees his car and goes, no way. And just like calls the cops. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. Um, so the guy looks me right in the eye in that moment. And I'm like, are you okay? Like, you should probably sit down here. Let me get you a blanket. And the guy goes, you got to help me move my car. And I'm like, that is not going to happen. And then he looks, he like gets really close to my face and I'm like, please go away. You don't smell awesome. He's like, you gotta help me move my car, man. And I'm like, it's not going anywhere. So then he just kind of like, you know, brushes me off, gets in the car and tries to rev the engine, which is destroyed because he ran into a minivan going like 60 miles an hour. He'd pushed the minivan up like five feet. So he hit it really hard. And he's like revving this engine, which is somehow kind of still on and like nothing is happening. He's completely stuck. And he's like, he gets out. He's like, you got to help me push it. And I was like, your car is not going anywhere. You need to stay here. And he hears that. And then he realizes what's happening and he just walks away. 
leaves his car, like oil and gas spilling out all on the side of the road, glass everywhere. He just walks away. He's just like, oh, okay, I'll just walk. So the police show up and he somehow managed to block the entire road because he hit the car and it like was blocking the street. And the police were like, where's he at? What's, and I was like, he walked that way. And they're like, he walked? And I was like, he just walked. He's just gone. He just is like over there somewhere. And the police officer goes like, is this your front yard? He's in his car. I'm like, yes. And he goes, I'm sorry about this. And he drives over my front like, like, um, driveway and into the grass and over to the other side of the street. And I never knew what happened to him. Uh, but he couldn't quite realize that he wasn't going anywhere. He's completely stuck, right? And I say all this kind of as a comical example. Uh, don't speed kids and don't make poor decisions, especially if you're going to drive later. But um, he was completely stuck and he had no idea what to do about it. So he just decides to bail. And I think I wanted to share this story with us because a lot of times in life we can feel stuck. We feel like nothing is going the way we want. Nothing is going the way we planned. Everything that we wanted to do just seems to be put on hold. What do we do in moments like that? What does the Bible have to say about moments like that? Um, the Bible says a lot about this. The Bible says a lot about when we're stuck in difficult seasons. And this Psalm, Psalm 40, is a Psalm that I have clung to in my life personally. And I hope that its truth um, would stick with you as well. And I hope that its truth would um, help you realize that God is closer to you when you feel stuck uh, than you realize. Uh, that God is closer to you when you feel like you're trying to move forward and nothing seems to be happening. God is closer in those moments um, than you realize. This is a Psalm of David from uh, a season of deliverance from a season like that. And I think the words today from this Psalm will um, encourage you if that's where you're at right now, or if you've been there, or if you're going to be there soon. Um, no matter where you're at, listen to these words um, from, from the Lord. It says this in Psalm 40, uh, verse 1. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise uh, to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Uh, God, be with us as we look through this psalm. I pray that you would um, remind us that you deliver us from seasons of pain and seasons where we feel stuck and uh, moments where things don't quite seem right. I pray that you would um, use these words to illuminate uh, your truth and your gospel uh, first and foremost tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the psalm today is actually a song of deliverance after a season of patience. We see David sing joyfully to the Lord after a season of waiting in a miry pit or, or excuse me, a pit of destruction and a miry bog. Um, okay, so what is a miry bog? Any answers? Anyone know? Listen to this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me from where? The pit of destruction and a miry bog. Um, this is 
a ancient term. Remember, the Bible was written a long time ago, and it's original listeners. We got to remember the context. And so a miry bog would basically be an area of mud, uh, an area of like really thick clay that is just wet. And if you were to walk through it, if you were bringing a chariot through it, if you were bringing a horse through it, or whatever mode of transportation you had, if you walked through this, you didn't know, you're going to get stuck. Uh, you're not going anywhere. And it actually could be a really dangerous situation if, uh, depending on how far away of town you were, depending on how uh, cold it is at night or how hot it is during the day, uh, this would not be a good thing. And David says, uh, I waited patiently for the Lord when I was there. I waited for God to show up when I was in the pit of destruction and the miry bog. The pit of destruction, um, it's this, it's a symbolic term, like he's not literally in a pit at this exact moment. David's not. Um, he's saying that in the midst of my greatest trials, I waited patiently for God. Um, if you're going to wait and if you're going to expect the Lord to show up, you got to be patient. Uh, that's where we see verse 1 take us. We have to have patience in the pain. I know there's seasons of difficulty. I know there's moments where, like, even as a, as a, as a young person, um, people would try and say things like, oh, you'll be fine, or you don't even know what it's like to be an adult yet. And I think those are like horrible things to say because um, I know that you guys go through stuff. I know there are things that are really difficult. Um, but in order to see the full deliverance of the Lord, we have to be patient in the pain. And King David is writing in a season we don't, exp you know, we don't know specifically when, um, but he's had some pretty difficult moments. Um, this could have been the result of the consequences of his own sin with Bathsheba. It could have been um, a season of sickness. It could have been consequence. We don't know. But all we know is how David responds. And he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Uh, the story of deliverance starts with waiting patiently. And David rejoices later throughout the rest of this passage that God pulled him out of that pit but first he waits. Your story of deliverance may start with waiting. And we always want to get to the good part of the story, right? The part where we're out of the pit, the part where we don't struggle with anxiety, the part where we don't struggle with the consequences of our sin. But oftentimes, this is where our story starts with patience. I don't know about you, but I'm like hilariously bad at waiting for things. Um, if I see that the drive-thru has more than two cars in it, I'm like, let's just not eat because I don't want to wait, right? And it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Just wait in line. No, I refuse. I hate waiting. Um, and you and I have to wait for things all the time. Uh, all of life is a waiting game, really, if you think about it. Um, but waiting on the Lord when you're in a season of difficulty is a different type of patience uh, it's a different type of spiritual patience that only God can give us, that only God can grant us. Um, it is a deep-seated test of faith when God is telling us to be patient in seasons of pain. And patience is not a virtue in American culture. Uh, in our culture, it's uh, get everything as fast as you can and be the best as soon as you can. And uh, we'd like to think that's like an old school way of thinking or an outdated mentality. Uh, but that the performance hustle of, 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 of our culture is still very much prevalent in all of these ways. And um, that's not a spiritual practice. 
hustle. Um, patience is a spiritual practice. Uh, reliance on the Lord in seasons of difficulty is a, is a spiritual practice. Um, that is where we start patience in the pain. Look at what it says here. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. In the pit of destruction, uh, David is praying to the Lord. So often we hear these things like, that's right, God's going to deliver you in his season and his, in his way. Um, but you can wait in faith and in patience, or you can just let time go by. Did you catch that? There's a better way to wait when you have faith in the Lord. Uh, there's a better way to make it through the day when you're waiting for God to deliver you than just let time go by. You can cry out to the Lord and you can expect in faith that he is going to bring you out of it. That's how you wait patiently in the pain. Um, as Christians, we can famously say, yeah, yeah, God's got this with our words, but not believe it with our head or our heart. And we just kind of like idly float. We just kind of let our days of anxiety or depression just kind of like overtake us. Um, but that's not how the Lord wants you to wait. What does David say? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. Um, God is available for you in your worst moments. Uh, God is available and ready to meet with you in the uh, deepest pit of destruction that you could possibly wander into or fall into. In the worst seasons of pain, in the worst seasons of your own sinfulness, uh, God will and can hear your cry if you cry out to him. Uh, if you profess uh, in his name that he is there. He, he is there. Um, he is there. Are you crying out to him? Even in the worst moments. The difference between eagerly waiting for deliverance and just letting life wander by is faith. That's the key difference. It's faith and prayers of faith. In moments like this, we know that maybe the Lord is doing his own thing in his own time, but are you crying out to him and are you expecting him to show up? Well, the story does get better. It doesn't stay in the pit. He says he cries out to the Lord and the Lord hears his cry. And then what else does the Lord do? Verses two uh, shows us, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So first we see patience in the pain and then we see from suffering to security that God hears, he turns, he lifts, and he sets on a new foundation. And in verse three, we're gonna see in a second, he gives us a new song. This is a complete and total transformation from despair to deliverance. This is a complete 180. I don't know if you've know this, but God doesn't like do things halfway. Um, God doesn't like split the sea halfway and they get to like the middle part of the sea and they're like, God, when are you gonna like, figure out the rest of it. Um, God is consistently initiating and completing acts of salvation um, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Um, when God is working on his story of glory in your life, he is going to bring that thing into completion. We see in the New Testament, he says, our God who is faithful uh, to begin a great work in you will finish it. Um, your story is not over in your worst moments. Uh, your story is not finished in the deepest pit of despair. Um, God will completely deliver you. What does David say? He drew me from the pit. So he took me out of the pit. 
He set my feet on a rock. He made my steps secure. And verse three says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Uh, This is the moment where we see David go from suffering to security in our God. God is always completing and initiating and completing acts of salvation. Um, God is doing something bigger than we understand. We would like to say the perfect story in our lives is nothing bad happens, everything good is given to us, and God gets all the glory for that. But that's not how God operates. And we don't know the mysteries of the sovereignty of God. But maybe God is doing something bigger than we can understand. Maybe God is doing something in your life that you don't understand now. But in the right time, in the right season, you'll look back and it'll be a song of praise. And maybe one day you'll look back and say, this made me stronger. This made me a better Christian. This made me more dependent on my God. And there's a new song I know how to sing that I wouldn't have known how to sing if I didn't go through this. The difference between the person who lets the pit of destruction overtake them and the person who sings a new song is again faith in the Lord. It's faith in God to deliver you. It's faith in the Lord and just a genuine faith. It's not a faith meter have more or less than the other person. It's a genuine belief in the Lord. Um, and I love the imagery here in verse two. I absolutely love it. Um, he drew me out of the pit of destruction. He was the one who did this. God is the one who did this. Do you know where God had to go in order to get you out of the pit? Do you know where he had to go? He had to go there too. Because we don't serve a God who's unfamiliar with difficulty and pain and sadness and depression um, himself. We don't serve a God who's unfamiliar with what that means. Um, Because God himself got into the pit for you and for me. If somebody stumbles upon a miry bog, which is a new thing that we're all going to say all the time now, all right? Promise me, miry bog. You're like, oh, today was just such a miry bog kind of day. You know how it goes. Um, no, just me. I'm the only one who's going to say it. That's fine. So like imagine you're, you're walking along the way and you stumble upon somebody stuck in the miry bog. Um, they're probably like right in the middle if they're really stuck and they can't get out. And if you were a good Samaritan, if you were someone who's like, I'm going to help this person, you may have to risk danger yourself to come get them out. And that's what God did for us. He was the one who drew us out of the pit. He's the one who walked into pain in order to grab us out. Because God ultimately is the hero of this story. Not us, not us waiting patiently, not us feeling really good about it, but God is the one. He's the one who initiates and completes acts of salvation. Uh, we serve a God who has been in the pit with us. God got his hands dirty for you. God went down into the pit of destruction so that you don't have to stay there. You don't have to mull over constantly in your mind all the difficult things that are happening. Um, God got into that pit for us to pull you out of it. And you don't have to stay there. God doesn't want you to stay there. God's seeking to deliver you if you would have faith in him. Any sickness, illness, consequence of sinfulness, loneliness, all of these things. God is familiar with our pain because he lived it too. And he went into the muck and mire 
not because of sinfulness, but to save us from our sinfulness. So the song doesn't end there. The song keeps going, and we're just going to focus on the first five verses here. Um, But verse three says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their, or excuse me, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn around, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more than can be told. The psalm ends today with a proclamation of praise. Our trials eventually serve as our fuel to praise God. Our past trials, your past trials, will eventually serve as fuel to the fire of your personal worship to God. Um, Your testimony in your life is just beginning. Uh, The testimony of God's faithfulness in your life is just beginning. And you can already come up with a very, very, very long list of why God has been faithful to you. But guess what? It just keeps getting longer, that list. And that means there's just going to be, there's going to be more and more seasons of this. And you ask any leader in the room, anyone who's lived more than, uh, you know, maybe a few more years older than all of us could attest that and could profess that. That the more life goes on, the more seasons of difficulty you'll find and the more God will continue to deliver you from them. If you have faith in him, if you continue to cry out to him and worship him. Um, that, those trials serve as our fuel for worship. Uh, when we gather here on a Wednesday night and we sing, great are you, Lord. Um, we don't do that in spite. Well, like I've had a really good week this week, so I'm going to sing. Um, We sing that in the middle of when we are in the worst of the worst. Why? Because we believe that God is good today, tomorrow, yesterday, and forever. And we believe that his faithfulness shines brightest in our seasons of pain. So yes, if you are patient, if you wait patiently, if you cry to the, the Lord, this will become your testimony no matter what you're walking through. So don't give up. Don't give up on the God who already walked into the pit of destruction for you. Don't give up in seasons of pain because God has gone through worse to get you out of them. Do not give up in moments like this and watch your season of pain become a proclamation of praise to God himself. If you'd be faithful and wait and listen and and, and, and trust his guidance and trust in no matter what happens, God will eventually turn my song of mourning into dancing. God will eventually serve and, and, and use this song of destruction to, to serve me well into bringing forth a deeper conviction of songs of, uh, of beauty and songs of joy. God put a new song in my mouth. See, my song used to be, help, I'm stuck, and this is awful, <laughs> right? That's so often, and can be that, that can be a season of you in your life. That can be the song. But David says, not anymore. No longer. That's not it anymore. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. Many will see and fear because of this song that I'm singing and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, 
the Lord, his trust, who does not go and turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You've multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. The longer and longer you wait for the Lord's deliverance, the more and more ways he shows up and the more and more things you can't even remember. And there's just more good things to say about God than can physically be told. That's what the psalmist is saying. That is how full his joy is after God has delivered him. But there's a temptation here in the pain. In verse four, we see it. It says, blesses the, Lord, or blesses the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Um, in the worst of the worst, you're gonna be tempted to go every other place but God. Like, that's just the reality. Um, in the worst of the worst, you're going to want to put your faith in the proud and those who are going astray after a lie. Um, because the things of this world will satisfy you temporarily for a season, uh, but only God can save. The lies that the world tries to tell you, right, if you're just anxious, you just can just like drink a little bit or take this and you just kind of feel a little bit more loose and a little bit more relaxed and, you know, life's just a little bit better. Uh, that's a lie. Yes, you will feel good for like a little bit until you wake up the next morning and feel awful uh, because it's a lie. That's a lie. And you just need like, you just need to go out with someone. You just need to like spend time with them or you need to find someone and, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, it's fine. And that's a lie. Hearts will get broken. Your heart will get broken. You will sin against yourself and your body in sexual sin. It is a lie. There's so many lies that the world tells you. Only God can save. Temporary things will feel fine, but you'll still be in the same place you were and even further in until you put your faith and trust into the one who can pull you out put you on a rock, and give you a new song. This is a complete and total transformation, not just of a situation, but of a person. And only when you have faith in God will that happen. True faith in the Lord will completely transform our song of destruction into songs of praise. Um, the glamour of this world is only temporary, and the salvation of the Lord is forever, from now and forever. And as we close, we cry out to God to rescue us and to redeem us from our circumstances in this life. But we also rejoice knowing that even if he doesn't, we are never going to be subjects of the pit ever again. Um, because God delivers his people from the pit. God delivers his people from the pit of destruction. Um, God got his hands dirty for us through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Uh, you see, God didn't want to leave us in our own sinfulness, in our own, because um, this is where we're all born. This is where we're all stuck in verse two. That's where we all are um, before Christ. Um, but Jesus, who's second person of the Trinity, God's son, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus, Colossians 1 tells us. The fullness of who God is was represented and in and was Christ Jesus. Um, he got his hands dirty. In fact, he had his hands pierced 
with nails and his hands were bloodied because of the sacrifice he made on the cross. And when you put your faith in him, the person who rose from the dead three days later, he will deliver you from the deepest, darkest pit there is. And that is the pit of your own sinfulness in your own heart. And there's a temptation to say, God will deliver you from every single bad thing that'll ever happen. Um, I believe that God is faithful to do that. Um, but I, I, I do believe that this is speaking not just to circumstantial deliverance, but to eternal deliverance from the destruction of sin. That's what this passage is speaking to. Um, the passage is speaking about a God who is willing to deliver his people from eternal separation with him. And you should know that no matter what, Right? Even if you continue to struggle with that anxiety, even if the situation with your friend or your parents continues to get worse, there is a sure foundation that will never change. And that is, I will never be placed back into the pit of destruction ever again because God has delivered me. God has delivered me from my sin. God will continue to keep me safe. There's continued deliverance from the trials in this life, yes, but there's ultimate deliverance in our salvation. And it's important that we end with this. I wish I could look at every single verse and say, yes, God's going to take you out of every single thing that is really hard in your life. And, and, and that's just simply not the case. But our ultimate deliverance was paid for by the blood of Christ. And that deliverance is available today. The ultimate deliverance from the ultimate pit is here. You may always struggle with a health concern. You may never get that job. You may never reconcile with that person, but you will always be offered a hand of salvation from God himself, and he will be faithful to deliver you. So what do we do when we feel stuck? We pray faithfully. We cry out to the Lord. If you're a believer, you recognize how he's ultimately delivered you already. And we wait patiently for that deliverance. And when he does, we faithfully proclaim of all of the ways he has. That's what we do. And the Lord is near to you in this moment. The Lord is closer than you might think when you feel stuck, when you feel like nothing's going your way. The Lord is near and he's going to deliver you. I waited patiently for God. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him because, or excuse me, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. God, you've multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. That's the story of our deliverance and that's the story of our God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for um, this story, this testimony um, from a man that you use so mightily, even in his own sinfulness and even running from the consequences of his own sin, you were uh, faithful in that. I pray for everyone in the room who um, feels like 
uh, they're in a season or in a, a, a pit of destruction. I pray that they would recognize that you uh, will ultimately deliver them from uh, uh, the consequences of sin and death if they have faith in you and no one can take that away. Nothing can change that no matter what. I pray that that would give us joy, that that would give us satisfaction, that that would give us um, hope and, and, and faith in this moment. Uh, I pray for the person right now who has not trusted you and uh, they're running to the proud. They're running after lies that the world is offering them. I, I pray that you would be faithful to convict them and to, to get a hold of their hearts. I pray that we would be faithful witnesses of you. And Lord, I pray for the person who it just feels like they're just trying hard to hold on. I pray that you would remind them and tell them right now that you are holding on to them and that they would just need to be patient and wait for your deliverance, God. God, I, I'm thankful that you walked into the pit, uh, that you ran towards us when we were at the lowest of our lows and you, you got your hands dirty. You did not come out completely unscathed, um, but you uh, pulled us out of the pit. And like a good friend and a good father, you're there for us, cleaning us up, putting us uh, on a rock, uh, giving some security to our steps and uh, giving us a new reason to sing, not out of pain and, oh my goodness, I'm gonna die here, but no, this man rescued me. He saved me. I'm no longer where I used to be. I pray that that would be the testimony of someone maybe for the first time tonight. So God, help us to sing with these words in mind, um, with this reality in mind that you delivered us from the pit of destruction. And that's what you do. Pray all this in Jesus, your name.